Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and the executive director of the International Outreach and Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. Along with our work internationally, we've started a new ministry available to you through a website called SavingEvangelicals.com and a new book by the same title. God's Word calls upon those who call themselves Christians to test themselves to see if they're in the faith. We want you and those you love to have a solid assurance of saving faith. This book and this website are designed to guide a person into a biblical confidence in salvation, and it's meant to undermine any false confidence. So go again to savingevangelicals.com and learn more. Now to God's Word. When considering all the possibilities before the follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot forget the possibility at any moment of his return. Jesus said he was coming again for us. And yet, as we consider this return, we must begin to understand a bit of what it entails. To do that, we begin today with a consideration of the biblical concept introduced in the Old Testament called the Day of the Lord. Peter writes, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And what you should understand, as I just mentioned, was that Peter's primary audience was the Jewish Christians. And to these Jewish Christians, the Old Testament and the teachings of the Old Testament would be plain to them. And in the Old Testament, there was a theme that continued to roll over and over again. And that theme was the idea or the concept of the day of the Lord. And it was applied in different situations. It was always presented with certain features and certain elements, which I'll talk about in just a moment, but it was applied in different situations. It was almost always expressed as something declaring a moment of climatic judgment upon a people, a climatic judgment upon a people. And so when the prophets prophesied of the coming of the Assyrians over the nation of Israel for their sins, that great moment when the Assyrians would come upon them was described as the day of the Lord, and the features of the day of the Lord, or certain literary elements of the day of the Lord were brought and presented in that discussion. And when later on prophets spoke about the coming of the Babylonians against the nation of Judah to bring judgment upon the evil and the wickedness in the nation of Judah, again, that moment and that time, that period is called the day of the Lord. And again, these certain literary features are presented. And then when God in turn decides that he's going to judge the nations that he's used to bring judgment upon Israel and Judah, he speaks about and he uses the same language and he talks about them as entering into the day of the Lord. And so when there's a judgment pronounced against Assyria in the book of Amos, it's presented as the day of the Lord against the Assyrians. Or when judgment is pronounced against the Babylonians for the abuse that they brought upon the nation of Judah, again, the language, and it's called the day of the Lord. In the book of Joel, when there's a moment in which locusts come over the land and seize the land, at that time, in that contemporary hour, it's discussed as the day of the Lord. And yet all these different pictures or images of the day of the Lord always have within them a projecting towards the future, a rolling out of something even greater that's coming, and that is the final great day of the Lord. And so through all these different features, the people were being taught and were learning that there was a God who brought judgment and wrath upon wicked individuals, and that this judgment and wrath that periodically was coming upon their own nation and upon the nations that had come upon them, that eventually God was planning and designing for one great final day of judgment, the day of the Lord. 
And again, there are different features that are presented in the day, literary features. If you come to these passages, you'll see that there are images of darkness and gloom and terror and battle and slaughter. And the earth is shaken and there are these cosmic events that surround them because they all reveal, whatever the moment is, whatever the moment of time, they're all revealing the pent-up righteous wrath of God in judgment against evil that ultimately will be released And we have accomplished in one final great day of the Lord. Also, there's another notion here. One of the things, by the way, you'll see as you read about the day of the Lord is that the day of the Lord is never just a day. It's a time period. It's a moment. It's a a historical movement when these great things are falling in place and when God is bringing this judgment. Another one of the similar things is that there's certain outcomes that take place in the day of the Lord. There are probably three that we can identify One is that the wicked are judged and they're dealt with decisively and destructively and forcefully. At the same time, another feature is that the righteous are always preserved and protected. God is preserving and protecting the righteous. It's always a message of God's judgment against the wicked, but also God's deliverance and rescue of the righteous. And the other thing we will see is that there seems to be in all of them coming through it, and this is particularly pronounced in Isaiah, an image or portrait at the other side of it of the rising up of a righteous kingdom that will prevail. A righteous kingdom that will prevail. So you see these features. The people of God being rescued and preserved. The rebellious being devastatingly judged. And that's a righteous kingdom prevailing. But let's look at these two elements at least. This preservation of the righteous and the judgment of the wicked. In Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, in the last chapter, it's just six verses, in the first three verses, you see this idea of the day of the Lord and the preservation of the righteous and the judgment of the wicked. Here's what it reads. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts that will leave them neither root nor branch, that will be utterly removed. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, and you shall trample the wicked, and there's the idea of this kingdom rising up out of the rescue, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. The wicked are judged, the righteous are delivered, Paul writes about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. And he'll speak in that passage of a day that begins with the deliverance of God's people from the wrath of God that is to be poured out on the earth. So the day of the Lord is this day of wrath, but also it's a day of deliverance. And you, you read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Take your Bibles and turn there. Here's what we read in verse 10 of chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians. For they themselves declare to us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's speaking to Thessalonians and he's reminding them that the word has gone out throughout the region in which they live from the other followers of Jesus Christ. The wonderful story of this movement of God in which the people of Thessalonica, many of them had turned from their idols to serve the living God. But this is not only with it. They didn't just turn to serve the living God and true God and to, he writes in verse 10, and to wait For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us 
from the wrath to come. And that phrase, the wrath to come, will be tied into other things that Paul is going to write in 1 Thessalonians that will tie it directly to this idea, this concept, this reality of the day of the Lord. Remember that Peter in verse 10 refers to the day of the Lord as the coming of the Lord like a thief in the night. Paul is going to use this exact same imagery. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me read to you 1 through 10. So now Paul is going to talk about this day of wrath. And it's a day that he says is coming like a thief in the night. Just like as we saw in our passage when Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. Here's what he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10. And I want you to listen now. I want you to listen for this note of judgment upon the wicked and also this note of deliverance for the righteous. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Here again, you see this idea of wrath and a day of destruction, but you also see this promise of deliverance and salvation for the people of God. And so now, you might go back to our text and remember what Peter is writing about. And Peter is writing about this day of the Lord and the coming of the day of the Lord and the delay in the coming of the day of the Lord. But he also refers to this day as the promise of his coming. He calls it the promise of his coming. It's a promise for deliverance and salvation for the people of God. And it's a promise of wrath and judgment upon the remainder of those who are on the earth. Peter says that day is coming. The promise of his coming is going to take place. And with that said, I'd have you note that the believer in Scripture is always encouraged to look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus as a wonderful promise that's being fulfilled, as something that we're anticipating and longing for. It is a promise of ultimate, profound deliverance and rescue. And yet it is also a promise of final, conclusive judgment and justice against all evil. And it is a promise after which to be the rise of an unending kingdom of unending justice and glory forever and ever. And so as believers, we're to read and say, oh God, send that day. Bring to us the day of the Lord with all of that, all that is involved. Come and rescue us and come and make us a part of the reign of this victorious king who will set up his righteousness in all the earth. Another one of the promises, by the way, that the Lord gave in the book of Revelation, we understand the book of Revelation to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's like the Lord Jesus' last declarative statement to the church. And in, in Revelation 19, which we read in our scripture reading, we have the initial part of that, this picture of this great 
marriage feast of the bride of Christ that's celebrating and the, the imagery is with him in heaven and enjoying and engaging in this great feast. And then at, at the end of that chapter, the promise is that he's going to return to earth to bring judgment. And those individuals that are part of that feast that are dressed in the righteousness, dressed in white, righteous linen cloth, now they're returning as a great army dressed in white. Following the Lord Jesus, he comes down to earth to bring his judgments upon the earth. Here it is. There's a promise for us that Jesus gave us that he's going to deliver us and rescue us to be with himself. But there's also a promise that he's going to gather us and unite us into a great army that will go with him as he leads into triumph and final defeat and judgment upon the earth. When the Lord Jesus was being judged before the Sanhedrin, just before he went to the cross, they asked him if he was the Messiah. Are you the anointed one? An anointed one is one who is anointed to be king. Are you the anointed one? And he said, I am. And what more? You shall see me coming in the clouds of glory. These are images. And by the way, the very imagery of coming in this way draws upon the imagery that is in the Old Testament of the day of the Lord. What we're not going to do this morning is put together a sequence of all the events that lead up to and are part of the day of the Lord. But there are certain things that I want to point out to you about this day that are important for us to embrace. Here's another one. It underscores a reason why the church is losing a sense of intense interest in the return of the Lord Jesus. And it's because they've lost an idea or they're losing this idea of the imminent return of the Lord. When you read the New Testament... Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.